Hey guys, it's me, Chris Denson, Innovation Crush. Now look, around here, we're not exactly the web designing type, but we just started creating an amazing website using Weebly. And honestly, I still can't believe how easy Weebly made it. First of all, Weebly was created for people just like me with the courage to start their own businesses and the dream to be their own boss. No one's gonna tell me what to do on this show. Again, you don't need to be a web designer. You don't have to know how to code in order to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Now we're all very impressed with the wide variety of professionally designed, mobile-friendly themes to choose from. Then you simply drag and drop to quickly build and publish your site. Way too easy. And you can truly customize, update, and change your site anytime, anywhere, on any device. You can't beat that. So here's what I suggest you do. Join the over 30 million people who are already dreaming big with Weebly. That's right, 30 million. Get started today for free at Weebly.com slash crush. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com slash crush. Weebly.com slash crush. All right, everybody. Welcome to another installment of Innovation Crushed. I am just your host, uh, Chris Denson, um, and uh, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time, this is a show that covers all things innovation, ideas, marketing, smart people in the marketplace, and the cool people behind them. Um, today we have a very special guest. Say hello, Jenk. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Uh, Jenk Uger um, from the Young Turks, and before we get to you, I also want to introduce the lovely Paula Miranda. Hello, Paula. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. That was very, um, uh, what was the show? Dwayne Wayne and, and Roger. Uh, Fat know. Albert? No, not Fat Albert, but it is along the lines of Fat Albert. Oh, it was yeah, like, yeah. Um, well, uh, <laughs> What's happening? Thank you. What's, What's happening? happening? There you go. What is happening? I, I don't know. Um, but <laughs> I That's <would> actually <laughs> subliminally, subliminally what I was saying. What's happening? Yes. <laughs> it, this, is, this will be a very uh, telepathic uh, show today. Perfect. So um, tell us a little bit about you and uh, and what you do. I, I, last time I saw you, you were on television stomping on a map around the world. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I do uh, that sometimes. <laughs> So just give us a little bit of a one-on-one -on, -one on Paula, and then uh, we'll get into the rest of the show. All right. Well, um, hello, everyone. I'm actually uh, in the entertainment industry, uh, blogger. I also am a host, and I center my world around my lifestyle of being a quintessential hot mommy. Quintessential hot mommy. Yes. <laughs> I'd love that. QHM. Mm-hmm. I like yep. that. Um, and okay, that's great. Uh, you know, I've, I'm, I've been a fan of your uh, take on what a how do you pronounce it? H, H A U T E? I'm not sophisticated enough. Is it ought? You have to be French it enough is. to say no, you don't. You said it beautifully. Ought, ought couture. Oh, okay, so that's the inspiration. So it's not H O T because that's just plain and yes, and, and, and hot mommies is a whole other genre. Hot mommy is the genre kind of, of entertainment. A, it is, it's, it's one of those things that you kind of when you think of haute couture, it's very like on the forefront and it's very edgy and unique and, um, you know, unafraid, uninhibited. So that is what I like to um, kind of claim myself to be as well. Oh, you know, I, can I jump in here? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Uh, I'm unsophisticated. So I thought you meant hot. As in like, hey, you're hot, which is true, which is true, which Bless is true. <laughs> okay, so it's hot, as in, as in French. Uh, yes. Okay, and mommy is that literal or, or mm -hmm. as in like you're one hot mama? Um, it could be taken as both. <laughs> okay, as but both. But yes, okay. but really, it's literal. So uh, I have a, a a whole movement and group called Hot Mommy Club, and we are all. Col collectively different women that are like-minded that all have the same sort of energy and focus on our family first but we don't forget ourselves as women mm -hmm. and um, we prioritize ourselves so that we stay happy and then the whole family stays happy that sounds good well it's hard to forget you as a woman so <laughs> <laughs> and I, now I'm thinking like what if what if I did the same thing and I got uh, people with the same energy as me in a room together some chance the room would explode I was gonna say that oh, yeah. might be like a mushroom yeah. cloud from this. but but yet, like I personally, I would love to be in that room, like a fly in the wall. And I feel like a lot of people that hear about the the community that I have, that they tend to want to be in the room. They're like intrigued, and they're like, "Well, when, when's your next event? Because I might just happen to be at that 
place at that time. You just let me know. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, no, there's no like my wife's gonna want to find out. So oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, she's definitely hot too, by the way. Uh huh. Oh, yeah, believe me, hot. that's why I married her. There well, I got go. a hot wife too, so I don't want to be left out. <laughs> okay. um, speaking of not being able to pronounce that, um, uh, thank you for saying your name. Because um, you know, when you watch your videos, you never say your name. I know. I know. It's a huge <laughs> problem. So for okay, first of all, I mean. It, there's a great argument to be made that I made a, a huge uh, error uh, in the beginning of my media career. I mean, Jenk is spelled C-E-N-K, but the C is pronounced like a J. It's not pronounceable. It's not possible. No one knows that in Turkish, C is pronounced as a J. I don't even think Turkish people know that. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, I was in radio. I should have gone with like, hey, everybody, I'm Jack Unger, you know? <laughs> or like, like literally 50% of the DJs growing up were Steve Young. Like, how could they all be named Steve Young? That doesn't make exactly. any sense. And I'm, like, going from market to market. I'm in Philly. I'm in New York. I'm in Miami. And every, I'm like, it's Steve Young again. I can't believe it. <laughs> right. So, uh, but I'm, I'm hoping that it's an ironic advantage that by the time you figure out my name is pronounced Jank Uger, that you become a part of the family. Yeah. And so you feel a little bit more attached. Like, mm -hmm. like I'm in the club. I'm in the hot club. Oh, totally. <laughs> right? One thing, it also, it, it makes people, you know, subtly makes people pay attention, right? My, mm -hmm. you know, my mom was a school teacher, and she, one of her theories was always like, uh, my, my, I have a uh, nine-year-old, and in uh, kindergarten, she had a teacher who had very bad English, right? Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, actually, kids pay more attention when people have an accent, or they have that one thing that you're like, what? Like, you just, you pay a little bit more attention because you just want to mm -hmm. know more, and so you absorb more. So that's actually really interesting. It's totally related to what we do at the Young Turks. Because um, the rest of TV, what they do is uh, read off a prompter, right? Mm -hmm. And so it cues the audience that somebody is reading to you and then that it is fake, right? So we don't use prompters. So we just get on the air and we tell stories. So when we look down to see what we're, you know, what the name of the guy is because we don't have a prompter or we pause or we stumble, it cues the audience that you're real. Right. And so they pay attention because, hey, look, this guy, Jank or Sank or whatever his name is, is telling me a story, right? And so whereas the anchor guys drone on and on, I read the funniest thing today. I, I read a story about how N NBC News is imploding and they have all these internal tr uh, troubles and it's in New York Magazine. And the part of the story that I loved is that Natalie Morales is on the Today Show and at some point an executive tells her, hey, you know what? The audience wants to know more about you, so let them know who Natalie is. She gets outraged. <laughs> what? She's like, how dare you tell me to be me? I'm an actor. All I do, I don't know the news. I don't have any opinions. I don't know anything. Right. I mean, this is by implication, to be fair to her. Right. Okay. And she's like, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't know who Natalie is. I don't want to be Natalie. I want to be that actor that reads the news and I just read the thing that you put in the prompter and I get the hell out of here and you give me millions of dollars. Exactly. Right. And I use a tone. <laughs> That's There's right. There's a tone. Well, in, well, in that, I mean, in that vein, right? Like, what is journalism? Because I think that that begs the question. When you go, yes, there's somebody reading off a, or I'll even back up. What is a journalist, right? Mm -hmm. Is a journalist somebody who reads and reports the news, or is it somebody who actually, where I feel like you guys care about the stories that you're telling? Which is, right. it's not a job; it is like a position. Right? Yeah. So that that's uh, the essence of it, actually, Chris. Because. Uh, I remember at one point uh, a couple of years ago, there was a huge company, a uh, media company that was thinking of investing in us, okay, to be honest. And um, they decided not to for a number of reasons. One of them was, we, I don't, we don't get it. You guys care about the news. That's not what you're supposed to do. Like you're supposed to be objective, which they m think means neutral and detached. Right. And I could be reading you the weather or what's, you know, happening in Congress or the sports scores. But I definitely, definitely do not care about this. I have no opinion on it. I'm not driven by it. I'm not passionate about it. I'm a robot who reads you the news. That's what they're used to, right? And so we're out of that mold completely. Not only uh, do we have opinion, analysis, commentary, et cetera, but we actually want to change things. Like right now, our current political system sucks. It's yeah. horrible. So if you're in the news business and you don't care about that, then you're in the wrong business, right? That's our view on it. Their view on it is, oh, you don't care. Great, you're hired, right? <laughs> 
And so, and if you do sh show some passion in saying, hey, maybe we should get money out of politics, because it seems like it's corrupting the whole process, they go, whoa, whoa, you're right. totally out. That means you actually care and want to get involved. We can't have that in news. I think the whole system is broken, but luckily we're going to fix it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and with that, you know, I, I'm interested into like how the Young Turks defines its audience, right? Like, you know, you look at the MSNBCs of the world or you look at, you know, the Young Turk of the world. Um, and it's two, it's the same story, same topics, but a very different approach. So, like, who, you know, who is the target audience? Like, I see you guys have close to 2 million subscribers on YouTube alone. Mm -hmm. Um but again, just kind of if you can speak a little bit about the audience that you, you cater to. Yeah. So first I'll give you the numbers and then I'll give you the idea behind yeah. it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're this week we're going to pass 2 million subscribers on the Young Turks channel on YouTube. And that's just on YouTube. We also have Hulu, Facebook, TYTnetwork.com, Roku, Pluto, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, uh, for the network, that's just that's our flagship channel. For the network, we're about to pass same at the same exact time 4 million subscribers. Our lifetime views on the network are about two and a half billion uh, views. Mm -hmm. We do about a hundred million views a month, and again, that's just on YouTube. Let alone everything else. Okay, so uh, uniques are forty million uniques a month. Okay, so the, this is a this is a real audience. And now, who are they? Um, Seventy eight percent are under the age of thirty five. Okay, now let me give you context. Uh, the average age of the Fox News audience is 68 years old. Uh, there's dispute whether the CNN audience is also 68 or whether or whether they're spring chickens at 63. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and uh, O'Reilly's average audience, a big, big bad O'Reilly's number one in cable news. He's so important. The average age of his audience is 72. 72, really? Get out. 72. Half the audience is above 72 years old. That's the median age. I should be uh, more accurate about that. So um, he basically so if you're on the other does side of 72. That's uh, as far as a median. Then <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Like broadcasting at cemeteries. No, that's what I was. <laughs> <laughs> He's basically doing his show out of a senior citizen center. Right. Hey, everybody, they can barely chew their food. Okay, so, like, that's Big Bad O'Reilly? No, no, he's irrelevant. 95% uh, of our audience is under the age of 55, 78% under the age of 35, okay? Right. So, America, I have your children. <laughs> okay. But that gives me hope, too, because, like, you know, it's kind of like sometimes you especially once elections start to really come into play, like you get very concerned, like are, are the young people going to show up? That's what you hear all across all the different broadcasts. And to hear this, these kinds of numbers, it's, it's really refreshing because yeah. that means that there are a, there's a significant group in the mass that actually does inquire and engage and want to be, you know, given the, information and be educated in different lights across the board. Yeah. So I get this um, from journalism professors all the time. I just was in uh, a conference in Miami, NAPI, and a journalism professor from uh, Northern California came up and, and said at a panel, I was in the audience, she said, you know, to all these different huge news organizations, you know, my kids, they don't care about you guys. They, you're not relevant to them. I can't get them to pay attention to you. All they do is watch Vice and Young Turks. And then she sees me in the audience. She's like, oh, my God, that guy. That's the guy they watch. Oh. <laughs> <Right>? It's him. <laughs> Get him. So um, so that's I tell that story because it's not a matter of they don't care about the news. They just don't relate to the way that the 72-year-old is delivering that news to them. Right? Mm -hmm. That's for an old generation. That's from a 1955. Hello, I'm Walter Cronkite, and this is the news today that my producer wrote in the prompter. Right? right. And I'm being unfair to Walter Cronkite. He was much better than that. These guys are total news actors, not anchors. And so, of course, the young people don't relate to that. But here, I'll give you a great example. We started a political action committee. It's called Wolfpack. That's to get money out of politics. We're going to get a constitutional amendment. It's going to be awesome. Okay, now... When we show up at committee hearings and we're in every state, we've got 20,000 volunteers. We'll fill a place with 100, 200 volunteers in that state, and they're all young. Almost all of them are young. And politicians at the state level, they're like, what is this? What mm -hmm. just happened? Where did all these young people show up from? They're like, the number of committee hearings where young people show up is approximately zero. Right? right? right. And right. here is a room full of hundreds of young people. Turns out, they do care. You just got to talk to them in their la own language, mm -hmm. and you got to be real. 
and then you got in, and that engages them, yeah. and that gets them active, and that gets them part of the process. Why do, why do so many people get that wrong though? Because I, I think we all know that, right? And, and I would imagine an MSNBC knows that they need to be relevant and authentic to a younger audience. Um, do they get it, or are they like, is the machine too far gone to steer the boat in a different direction? Like, why, you know, wh- where's the disconnect? Chris, that's a thousand percent right. You got it. So there, I. Uh, compare them to a giant ship, right? And we're smaller in terms of organization. Like, we have 52 people that work for us. So it's a smaller company. You could move that around easier, right? Uh, we're, we're a little boat uh, that's going along, and we can cruise and go faster. We could turn it on a dime. They got this huge cruise ship, and they cannot turn the thing. Even- Iceberg, full right! Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and they know it. They're on the and they're busy rearranging the the you know chairs on the deck. And they're like, okay, all right, if we take this news anchor and move him from one p.m. to four p.m., well, that'll really solve it. Or if we get another news actor who you know goes at three p.m. and he's uh, slightly younger and a celebrity and somebody's kid, well, that'll really get him. They just right. even if they got it, they couldn't move it. And ninety eight percent of the time, they don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I wanted to. Talk about truth for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, what is what is the Jenk Uger definition of truth? <laughs> so we often talk about truth on our show, but I, I want everybody to understand that nobody's got a monopoly on the truth. So it's not like I am the holder of the truth and I speak to you from the mountaintop and I got this from a bush, right? <laughs> <laughs> that has happened once. Though. Yeah, that's isn't that good. funny that like we find that authoritative? Oh, he talked right. to a burning bush. Yeah, that sounds yes. good. Yep, yep. <laughs> then it must be true. Okay. <laughs> um, <No doubt. laughs> your agnostic side is coming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> um, but. I think you can be honest with the audience. And so honest about your perspective, honest about the news. And so that's a critical difference. Nobody's got a monopoly on the truth, but you can do your damnedest to make sure that you're honest. And that's a huge differentiator for us. So, um, you know, I say that, and if you just leave it at that, maybe people don't quite understand. Like, wait, isn't everybody trying to be honest with their audience? And the answer is unequivocally no. No, they're not. Okay, so for example, on TV, none of the reality shows are anywhere near real. I mean, right. you know that, right? Yeah. But even even so, I think most Americans, when they find out how TV works, they're still a little shocked, right? So, for example, uh, the housing shows. I have friends who've been on the housing shows. None of those houses are for sale. Uh, they're not actually looking for a house. Uh, I mean, not one part of the show is real, okay? And they all come in and they do 10 different takes and they go, oh, my God, wow, oh, look at that kitchen, right? And and then they have to come Somebody back and do it again. Teardrops, teardrops. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, on the late night shows, uh, they s- script all the stories they're going to – it's not like they sit down and Dave Letterman goes, hey, what's going on on the set? And they're like, oh, you won't believe this amazing story. No, they talk to a producer about that before the show. They know what – Dave knows what question to ask to get what story and all like people don't know that they think it's genuine. It's not genuine, but they get this inner sense of like, this is total BS. I can sense it's BS, but I don't know how it's BS. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, and it's when in the news category, they serve politicians because like they got to get access. Chuck Todd said on Meet the Press one day. uh, Well, if I was honest with the politicians, they'd never come back on the show. Okay, And that was he was talking to a comedian and he accidentally let it slip. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Right. Uh, they need access to politicians. They got corporate parents who are going to do a merger, uh, who need government approval, so they can't be too hard on the government. Again, that same story in New York Magazine I read this morning. Brian Williams apparently didn't like to do stories that were quote unquote divisive. By that he meant bother people inside the government. And they're all friends in right. the New York DC mm-hmm. circle. They all go to the same cocktail parties. That's not an exaggeration. They know one another, and they're all buddies, and they all go to the Hamptons together. So they're like, oh, that's impolite to do a story about my buddy Carl Rove and what a prick he is, right? Yeah. So they never do that. So all of this, and let alone catering to advertisers, all this leads to a fundamentally dishonest program. So when you strip all that away... People find it refreshing. They see you and they're like, whoa, okay, there it is. There it is. Someone who's not BSing me. Well, who who are your friends, right? Like where do you fit in? If 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 you're not playing that game, Mm -hmm. right, then where where does your access and growth – obviously, you know, the the audience that you cater to loves your honesty. But then, you know, you also have to – or do you have to play the sort of political game, quote, unquote? Yeah, that's a great question. So you – 
I'm human. Everybody's human. You can't help but be a little affected by the people you know and your relationships. That's why, for example, if uh, I don't want our sports correspondents knowing any of the athletes. Because if you get to know them and you're constantly interviewing them, it's uh, going to be harder to say, hey, you know what? That guy sucks and should be benched. Right. Right? And because it's a human thing to be like Wayne Fonts. Every every sports announcer back in the day, this is an old school analogy for the Detroit Lions I'm from coach. Detroit. I knew exactly who yeah. you were talking about. And, and Wayne Fonts was apparently such a great guy, and nobody wanted to criticize him on air. But he was a horrible coach. And everybody in the at home is going, why won't anybody say the obvious? This is the worst coach in the NFL. Right? And because you get affected by those relationships. For me, sure. Like, I actually know Brian Williams a tiny bit because I was at MSNBC and he was really decent to me. And one of he was on our show many years ago. And he's a really good guy from my perspective. So I – and I told the audience right from the get-go when that controversy started. I said, look, I'm biased. I know the guy a, a tiny bit. Okay. And he's been really decent to me. Right. So take so take my opinion with a grain of salt on this. And I think, yeah, he exaggerated the stories, no question about it. Uh, Fox News does things that are a million times worse every day, right? Mm-hmm. And then it turns out a couple of weeks later, we found out all the stories about Bill O'Reilly, right? Right. So I try to be as honest as I can about my perspective. If one of my uh, fellow co-host anchors gets in trouble, I'm going to back him up, okay? And I'm going to tell you about that. And I'm going to say, this. look, keep it real. You know, name a random name. I love Bob, and I'm going to back up Bob, and I'm not going to throw him under a bus. Right. But you make your call on what you think about what Bob did. Okay? So the the answer is simple. Just be honest. Just right. be up front. Mm-hmm. No, I love this undercurrent of just, like, say what you know when you know it and, and be forthcoming. Yeah. You, like, the transparency is a huge piece of the, the success. Right? It's authenticity. Yeah. You know? It's it's being it's understanding how to be authentic and real with yourself enough to where you can then be honest with whoever your audience is. Because because the rest of it is is also fear based, right? You you fear that you're going to miss out on something if you don't do X, Y, and Z. If you don't mm-hmm. do this thing, if you don't cater to this person, like you're gonna like it it will take away from you, right? And by the way, there's sometimes there's consequences, and you just got to live with that, right? right? So uh, I'll tell you a story I, I haven't told to anybody before. Uh, so exclusive <laughs> world premiere. <laughs> so uh, I used to have a really good relationship with this uh, website called Mediate, and and I read them, and I think they're really interesting. They cover a lot of the stuff that happens on TV and online, and um, and I used to have a bunch of their writers on my current TV show. They would come on as guests and stuff. And one day, uh, this guy who works with them, Joe Concha, who I've never met, uh, went and took a shot at me on Fox News, right? And, you know, I mean, anybody who knows me, I'm not going to sit around for that. So I took a punch back at <laughs> right. him, right? And I hit him pretty hard. And we came up with a thing on the show, because like, I don't know who he is, right? And so Mediate always loves to hype up. Joe Concha says this. And I'm like, and? Like, okay, <laughs> right. right? So, so I say Joe Concha, and uh, everybody in the studio goes, who? <laughs> like Mike Jones, right? <laughs> okay, so, but we're playing around, but I knew that would have consequences. Yeah. So they took that really seriously and have never covered us since. They used to cover us all the time. It's super obvious they've not written one article about us since that incident, right? Like, I'm not I'm not a rookie. I know that's going to happen. Right. Well, sad day. Okay, then you don't cover us. That's your loss. <laughs> okay, we do interesting stuff all the time. You don't want to cover it. That's your problem, not my problem. And I live with it. So we get a little less PR out of it. But, hey, it's much better that I'm honest with the audience and I burn that bridge than I'm not honest with the audience right. and I keep a healthy relationship with all the people in the industry. Right. For politics' sake. Right. I love that there's beef amongst uh, I know, right? news outlets. It's, <laughs> it's kind of goofy. I know. Uh, as long as no drive-bys or anything like crazy happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I, see, I see conscious stalking yo, us. Yo, you from Mississippi? You from Mississippi? Um, uh, yo, son, what, what? 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 I can't make a parking lot joke, yet, right? With that whole shit, I think. Oh too my shit. god! Gosh. Apparently, oh, there's what? video. Exactly. Well, yeah, no, I, mean, I saw it last night. I didn't watch it's it. Really bad. No, really I don't. Bad. I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Jesus, man, that guy. Well, the story control. enough was bad. I don't even know if I had needed to see exactly. Like, I mean, you've never the seen a club and... clear faster it, unless he comes into the club, and it's like crickets. So nothing. he used to. Uh, we used to work in an office right next to his office, not not in the same building, but in a building across the street. And so I'd see him all the time. I'd see him in the street. I'd see him like driving, like in next to me in the in the on Wilshire, right. And that's the one guy, if I ever see him, I never make eye contact. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> I, don't know, I didn't see you. You didn't see me. I don't know what you're talking about. 
<laughs> Everyone's looking at their shoes. Right. Their shoes, their and, shoes. and, you know, here's a great ironic part of what we do. Like, oh, we take on the power establishment. We go after everybody. But I, I'm a bit of a celebrity whore. Okay. So, like, I love learning into celebrities. I'm like a teenager about that stuff. Right. So, like, Danny DeVito once, like, waved to me from the sidewalk. And I was like, ah, it's Danny DeVito. Wave to me. Is that cool? I see Shook Knight. I'm like, oh, no, there's nobody waving. There's nobody waving. I didn't see you. <laughs> Cover your eye. Like, just shield your, your view of him. Um, the name The Young Turks. Uh, did you ever feel like that was going to be limiting in some way? Because like you would, mm-hmm. I would never imagine that would be like an international brand, right? If I, right. I call the show the, the Black Man's Innovation uh, <laughs> Podcast, <laughs> it's got like, a ring like, to it. <laughs> I have like six six listeners, so um, so I'm curious, just from a brand standpoint, you know, how did how did that yeah come about? So that's a great question too. Uh, First of all, the reason we named it Young Turks is twofold. One, um, back in 95, I started this cable access show. Yeah, I was a lawyer, and uh, and I was like, ah, I like this thing. I want to try this, right? And I went out on air, fell in love with it. And just I'm filling out forms there at the station. And they're like, okay, what's the name of the show? I'm like, I don't know. I never thought about it, right? And then it popped into my head like, oh, that's cute. Back then I was 25 years old, so I'm like, Young Turk. Oh, okay, that makes sense. It kind of means like badass, rebel, whatever, right? I feel that in. And then we I built a tiny little brand around it. And then when we started the Young Turks many, many years later with many other people, none of whom were Turkish, we looked up Young Turks in the uh, dictionary just to make sure. And it said, yeah, young progressives looking to overthrow the established system. We're like, oh, that's perfect. That's what we are. So that already existed, like, coincidentally. Yeah. The, the, well, I mean, it wasn't coincidental. The definition, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the sense that, like, I picked Young Turk originally back in the day because – I kind of knew that that's what it meant, and I liked that idea. Got it. But when we started up what was a radio show 13 years ago now is, of course, an online show, um, we all decided that that's a badass name, and that's exactly what we are, right? So now the downsides are significant. Yeah, 50% of the people think it's going to be a show about Turkey, you know? <laughs> and so they're like, oh, so what is happening in Ankara? <laughs> and I'll get people emailing me and tweeting me in Turkish all the time. Uh, how come you are not talking about important Turkish issues? <laughs> there is many things going on in Diyarbakir. Okay. So, so you're fluent, apparently. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we know the downside. The upside has been that, um, the, and this was not at all planned, the word young is in the title, right? So that cues people, uh, including industry folks and the audience, like, oh, it's a young show, right? And... That seems to have kind of magically worked. So yeah. there, there's been, and I one time we got a contract uh, with a major contract that was hugely important to us, and the person making that contract said, "You got to keep the name. I love the name. Uh, you know, I love the meaning behind the name, and I love that the word young is in the title." And I was like, "Oh, so apparently it worked a little bit." That was kind of unintentional, but yeah. wonderful. Well, don't worry, we're not we're not changing the name anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, as a as a CEO, right? You're you're also running a business, right? It's mm-hmm. all you know. One one part of it is journalistic POV. You're you know one of the one of many faces on the network. Um, what are some of the challenges you face as just on the pure business side and like maintaining? You know, I'm the face of this thing, but I'm also like the guy signing <laughs> whatever needs to be signed yeah. and making really hard decisions sometimes. Yeah, so there's a million challenges there. Uh, first of all, uh, some of the business end is fun, you know, trying to get deals, um, it, finding a way to win, which is my favorite thing in the world. You know, whether it's winning in terms of views, it's uh, winning in terms of revenue, uh, competition, whatever it might be, right? So I, I, it's like being a coach of a basketball team. So I, I enjoy that a lot. Uh, but there are super uh, uninteresting and uh, annoying parts of being the CEO. Uh, like contracts. I mean, that's why I stopped being a lawyer because I didn't want to deal with contracts. And you're constantly dealing with reading 48 page contracts. But yeah, but how about clause six one a? I'm like, ah, oh, make the pain stop. Do you wish you didn't have did not have a law degree? Then you'd <laughs> yeah. be like, oh, you can just pass it off fully to someone. Yeah, <laughs> someone else. but that's the thing about being a CEO, which is that you can't pass it off to anybody else. Right. Uh, although. The buck stops with you. The final responsibility is with you. Whenever we screw up, and we screw up plenty, I always think, well, I should have either managed that process better or made a decision myself or hired somebody better to have made that decision. It's always my fault, right? It's never not my fault. Right. So, uh, and that's a heavy burden too. But as my wife says, it, it doesn't really matter. You didn't have a choice because just 
you're never going to work for anybody else. It's just not in your nature. Yeah. Like when I when I work for other people and they give me silly orders that don't make any sense, I can't stand it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's all. Yeah, that's always the worst part. Is like ah, like being able to make the decisions you would have made and being able to own those and not have to. You know, worry about whether or not you're catering to the right person at the, at the right time. Yeah. And then there's all the drama, right? Um, you know, when you're running a company, you, you got 52 people working for you. Somebody's not happy. Many, you, you know, somebody wants to leave. Uh, some, uh, and then you'll get into the, all the office gossip. And this guy there got this. And she got that. And what about this? And then what about a parking spot? So <laughs> a friend of mine taught me a phrase that I kind of like, which is, that's not a CEO issue. Right. <laughs> so I dropped Get that out of my office. office. <laughs> Your parking spot's not a CEO issue. All right, I'll see you later. I think the parking spot guy is going to listen to this podcast and be like, oh, he really doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just means that I need him more. Right. right. See oh, what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong. The reason people have those conversations with me is because we're all friends, you right. know, at the company. And so it's a we have this personal relationship and so it makes it harder. Like, you can't go up to the CEO of NBC and be like, hey, man, I got this problem with Bobby or Susie, right? But you can't. Who are you because, because <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But everybody knows me. I know them. Right. I like them. We all, you know, you know, they use the cliche family, friends, et cetera, right? So that's what makes it uh, harder to challenge your uh, – harder challenge to – to manage your time. Well, that's interesting, though, you know, because you look at company culture and how important that is, especially to an organization that's all about telling, you know, storytelling and empowering people to go out and find really cool stories and, and that kind of thing. So how how does the company culture, like you just mentioned, the sort of, you know, um, level playing field, if you will, play into the, the product that you guys put out? Yeah, I think it matters a lot. I mean, if you're going to be authentic on air, you have to be authentic off air, right? And uh, and so we all got to be honest with each other. And then why, sometimes we wind up being too honest and that creates issues. It's just reality, right? And, and that leads to drama. Uh, but part of the other part of the culture is we're true believers. So the stuff we say on air, we really believe – and the stuff we're trying to do, we're not faking it. We're really trying to change the media. Our goal is if we're successful enough in actually catering to the audience uh, that the rest of the media will want to copy us and then they'll want to cater to the audience. And so that way we'll have liberated media in a sense, right? right? I mean that's our ultimate goal. That would be great. So if they take what we do successfully and copy it to our detriment, to our business detriment, I don't mind. I would love that because that would make the rest of the media better. And we can't just be the – voice in the wilderness. We need everybody saying the right things. I mean, look, I'll give you one quick example. Before the Iraq war, 69% of Americans thought that Saddam Hussein had personally done 9-11. So the media was in disastrous shape, and it continues to be in disastrous shape. Seven right. out of 10 people in America got got the wrong guy. It, it wasn't him. And we attacked Iraq based on false information that the media fed us. If we can help fix that in any way, that's much more important than, you know, making an extra however many dollars, but right? Do, but and I always wonder this about news like does doesn't the government know more than the media knows? Right? So if 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 the media influenced the war, like I would imagine George Bush knew a little bit more or well, maybe not George Bush, but no. <laughs> poor example, but I, right, I hear right. what you're saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um but you know, how much of like where's the balance between, you know, what the media is how, how the media influences like really hard decisions that the government makes versus like what they already know. So, okay, uh, that's a great question because uh, that goes to the heart of what happened in Iraq. So, yeah, did, did George Bush know that Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11? Of course. Same with Cheney. That's why they would parse their words. Their statements on air would be really careful. They wouldn't say Saddam Hussein did 9-11. They would slip up every once. They said a couple of times. Most said, of the time. What are you saying? Not even right. say Saddam Hussein. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they would say Saddam Hussein and 9-11 in the same sentence. But they wouldn't connect it. And they just kept saying Saddam Hussein. Uh, Dick Cheney once famously said on Meet the Press, Iraq comes from the center of the region from which the 9-11 terrorists attacked us. He didn't say they attacked us from Iraq. He said they're in the center of the region from which they attacked us. Of course, the reality is 17 out of the 19 hijackers were Saudis. And the Saudis are our top allies in the Middle East. 
And if we really wanted to attack the right people, it would have been the Saudis. But we never would have done that because they have oil and they give it to us for cheap. Okay? That's the reality. So now that's the government. But part of the government's job is to deceive us. Like if you think the powerful people are, uh, you know – here to help you. <laughs> Dick Cheney comes knocking on your door and he says, I'm here to help you and you believe him. You have made a terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the job of the media is supposed to be a watchdog of the government to say, hey, wait, 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 wait. I got to need, I need you to verify this. And I'm, I don't believe you. I, I don't trust you. I, my job is to keep you in check. Right. But they forgot that. And they become lapdogs instead of watchdogs. So they just sit there and they bring on the generals who say, yes, war. We need war. Absolutely. Saddam Hussein, region, 9-11, right? And they, just, they spew it. They spew it. So they help the government with their lies instead of checking the government on their lies. So that's how we got into the mess that we are. I get why Dick Cheney wanted to go into Iraq. And he's a terrible guy, but I, I understand his motivations, right? It's what bothers me to my core is that those fakers on CNN and all the other places – pretend to be on our side, yeah. pretend to be covering the news, but in reality are helping the American government do their propaganda. When was the last time you heard on CNN, uh, the U.S. government is lying to you? The Pentagon is lying to you. You never hear that. I haven't heard that in decades. Does anybody listening to this think the Pentagon has never lied to the American people? <laughs> I mean, it is a preposterous thought. Like, don't get me wrong. Then there's the kooks on the other side who think everything the Pentagon said is a lie. Everything in the world is a lie, right? right. And, you know, no, 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 no. I need something that is able to discern rationally what is true and what is not true. That's what the media is supposed to do, and that's what we're bringing back. Now, to finish up the the earlier thought on true believers, so at the company culture is to have true believers who believe in that mission, right? Who believe in that project. So we try to hire warriors and not mercenaries. Mm-hmm. Mercenaries will go job to job. And and they, you know, hey, that guy paid me $5 more, so I'm going to go work there. I don't care if it's a better job, not a better job. We're working on something. We're not working on it, something. I don't care. I'm a mercenary. We want to hire warriors who are going to get this job done. So that's our company culture. That's great. Yeah. Um, with the power of, you know, politics, and you, you mentioned the Iraq thing. I looked, you know, when we uh, looked at your YouTube channel. The most popular video was about a woman who had over 300 orgasms a day. Yeah, God bless. So, <laughs> so I'd like to meet her. And secondly, um, no. But could you really brag about it? I mean, she's having the 300 anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, when she's talking to you, she's having like what? At least 50, yeah. 75? Just, just there. Right. Yeah, there's no bragging rights in that. No. Yeah. I mean, Traffic, I, like, what everywhere. are you going to say? I, well, normally she has 300 orgasms a day, but I gave her 320. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Five like uh, uh, five. Uh. <laughs> um, I, never mind. Um, forget the forget the question. No, but you know, there's obvious like there's the pop cultural, mm-hmm. you know, cultural reference kind of stuff that you guys yep. do. But then there's the hardcore politics, and especially when you have an audience that's very much blip culture. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. it's like oh, we're quickly on to the next thought or the next thing. How do you filter like what stories you will tell versus which ones you you choose not to? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great question. So we definitely cover pop culture, right? And partly because I'm fascinated by it. Uh, I and like I said, I you know I love the celebrities, and that's just my nature, right? Uh, number two, we're not above the crowd. So some people will sit in their ivory tower and be like, I do declare Kim Kardashian's ass is not worthy of being discussed, right? Whereas I think it's perfectly worthy of being discussed. <laughs> <laughs> now, as long as you are also discussing quantitative easing at the Federal Reserve and you're discussing, you know, how the GOP sent a letter to Iran yesterday undermining our president, you can do both, right? There's no reason not to do both. And people uh, in the media business come compartmentalize, but people in real life don't. You don't go to a dinner and be like, we will only be discussing politics in this dinner, right? Or we will only be discussing pop culture. I don't want you to stray from that, right? You have real conversations with your friends. Oh my God, did you see what Kobe did? Did you see what Kanye did? Did you see what Dick Cheney did? These are real conversations. That's And so whatever's interesting in the news that day, that's what we cover. But what we try to do is, look, we're not going to, if the story is Justin Bieber did X and that story is uninteresting, We're going to let other people cover that, right? Because there's a thousand people that cover that story. And if we're not adding any value to the story, then we're not going to cover it. But if we have something interesting to say about it, there's an angle that other people didn't think of, we're going to find a smart way to cover it. Then we'll do it. So 
Um, for example, Lindsay Lohan, right? Oh, oh, that's crap. You shouldn't cover that. No, no, no. So one day she goes to a sh- shows up at a shoot. She's 12 hours late. For whatever reason, they were taping before she showed up. And people are furious, right? And they're like, God damn it, that bitch. She won't show up. And she's, you know, we wasted all this money and time. She shows up. All those same people turn on a dime. They're like, Lindsay, you're so great. I'm so <laughs> right. glad to have you here. And we do that, quote, unquote, Lindsay Lohan story. But what... But we tell people, look, you want to know why Lindsay and celebrities and politicians and people in power do the things that they do and have the ego that they have? It's because they live in this bubble where they're never wrong. They didn't see the 12 hours before that when everybody hated them. Whenever they enter a room, everybody loves them. So they think, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm always right, right? Right. So you learn something from that story even though it's a quote-unquote pop culture story. Uh, where did all this passion come from, right? Like a, a lot of people, because <laughs> well, we all like sit around and we'll complain and like, oh, we know that's not true. Like, but no one's actually gone out and built a media organization around it, and, you know, and to care enough to do it for 15 plus years. Um, so, yeah, where, where does this come from? How did this get instilled in you? So that one is just organic. <laughs> like I, I was, I was born in it, as Bane would say. <laughs> you merely adopted the passion. Is, I was you're born full of impressions. This is great. We've got an English accent. We got a Turkish accent. We got Bane. We got a little French. You haven't done any Spanish yet, so that's got to come out soon enough. That's at the. End. I'll do the bonics at some point. <laughs> that I won't. <laughs> the only accent that I find, by definition, racist is a Chinese accent. I don't know why, but it always. I, whenever anybody does that, I'm like. Ooh, don't do that. Well, I, that, I do, and here's here's my admitted sort of um, I'll, I'll say racist thing. Uh-huh. But some most times when I meet an Asian person, I expect there to be an accent, and then oh, yeah. and then I, then I'm like I'm such a dick because that's <laughs> that's, that's wrong. That's right. That's You're like, right. Oh, you speak normal. I was like, oh, oh, so hey, so yeah, let me get two. Uh, no, just <laughs> and then they're looking at you like, but why are you speaking like that? Right. Exactly. Like, <laughs> no, that's funny. No, I. I have immigrants all in my family, everywhere, right? So then they'll get frustrated that they can't understand each other. And so, like, <laughs> my dad, I mean, I don't know how many times he said, like, why they don't speak English? <laughs> I'm like, Dad, they might, there's some chance they didn't understand you either. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, what were we talking about? Your passion. Oh, See? yeah. yeah passion. So, um, Let's bring it back. <laughs> so you were always involved. Yeah. So oh, there's this uh, movie that came out about us, uh, The Mattis Hell. It's a documentary. Yep. And it's really cool. The guy, uh, the, the director uh, used to work with us for a couple of years, and then he left, and he uh, wound up doing other projects, uh, was part of an Oscar-winning team in 2013 for a short film called Curfew. He's a brilliant, great young director, studied under Tarantino, all these wonderful things. We got super lucky that he happened to be one of our producers for a couple of years, but he had complete control over the project. He worked on it for five years, just got released a little while ago, and in that story of honestly my life and the span of the company, you see what happened. And somebody after one of the screenings came up and told me this analysis of it. And I was like, oh my God, you're so right. I didn't even think about my own life in this way. She said, you always had the voice, but after the Iraq war, you put it to good use. Like you found a purpose for that voice, Mm. right? And I think that she's exactly right. Like you see my earlier shows, I'm having fun, right? And I'm passionate, whether it's about back in the day it was J Lo's ass, not Kim Kardashian's right. ass, right? Or and and I used to be a Republican. Now they coexist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good <laughs> Or, you know, I, uh, whether I was railing on Clinton or whoever it was, but then when we and it was honestly a little bit after we started the show when we realized, no, 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 we got to fix the media and we got to fix the government. And we went on that war path. Uh, then I think that's that's when, uh, you know, the passion met the purpose. Yeah. No, it's, it's great because, you know, you, again, you think about like we all are concerned about a lot of these things. But just, to, you know, but finding your voice and your and your purpose behind what you're doing is, is really awesome. Um, I was just going to ask you um, as far as. The journey from abandoning your law career, you know, what what prompted that decision? Like you, like obviously, you were going down a very different path. 
mm-hmm. uh, but you you cared enough. So what was that transition like for you? Kind of because I you know we get a lot of listeners on the show who are either at a transitional point or like making that leap from day job to their passion project or whatever it is. So I'm curious, is just like what you know what what was that experience like? Uh, yeah, sometimes people say like, wow, how did you make that choice? Or that was really brave, but it I, it really wasn't. I'm not saying it as a, a BS sure. humble uh, way of uh, saying anything. No. Uh, I, I hated that job. I couldn't stand it. And it was all details and it was all irrelevant. It was like rural telephone rights in Alaska. Who gets them, MCI or AT&T? I don't give a crap. No one in the, the history of the universe will ever give a crap. You know, who cares? And it was mundane and it was micro-level stuff. The minute I did my first show on cable access, as boring and terrible and awkward as it was, it was an hour long on politics and philosophy. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I everybody's like woo, and I walk off the stage. Did you stage. have to wake up the cameraman? At the end? <laughs> like, like, hey, whoa, whoa, over here! <laughs> Remember what I was saying about Nietzsche? <laughs> okay, uh, I, I walked off the stage going, "That's it, I'm done. This is what I'm doing the rest of my life." And from then on, it was just a matter of getting on that road. Right. So, and I wanted to leave law as early as I could, so I didn't get hooked on the money, because that's one of the biggest problems. You get hooked on the money, and then you can't change your way of life. Yep. And then you get stuck and you get sucked into a life you didn't want to live. That's great. Um, and then uh, not last, but, but not, uh, not last and least, blah, blah, blah. So uh, <laughs> do you ever feel pressured to do more, right? You, you talked about like wanting to make a change and, you know, it's one thing to tell the stories and get people, you know, in, encouraged and engaged to do things. But, you know, like you said, you created the Wolfpack. You've done all these other things to sort of like take the information and give it action. Um, is that, you know, is that something that you feel, I don't know, pressure is the right word, but Mm -hmm. just like it is, it is the right word. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel pressured to do everything more. So I feel pressure to make the network much larger, whether it's creating new shows, getting more views on the, uh, shows that we have now being on different platforms, TV, digital, um, I feel pressure to deliver for my employees to get them better pay. Uh, to make sure that they're okay and advancing in their careers. I feel responsibility for them. Uh, and then uh, I feel tremendous pressure to get Wolfpack done And because we're not playing. Like a lot of people, they just uh, they start a political action committee or they have this group, and that's their life, right? right? And so, yeah, I hope we solve the problem, kind of, but this is how I make a living, right? And they just mosey on along. Well, for us, we want to actually fix the goddamn thing. And so we want to fix it and then disband Wolfpack the next day. Okay, so our objective is to get a constitutional amendment. The minute it's signed, it's signed. We're all done. We go We go back home, okay? Like the original founding fathers. Go back to our farms. We're done, okay? Right. And so uh, I'm super driven by that. And if I don't get that done, I will be tremendously disappointed, right, that I let people down because it's on me now. I took on that task, right, And along with everybody. I mean the executive director of Wolfpack is amazing. All the volunteers, all the people who work there, they're going to get it done. But I need to help them get it done. Right. If we don't get it, then we failed. And that's I, and I can't abide by that, right? The flip side to that is if we get the amendment, then I don't need the money. I don't need the com- media company to be larger. I can sit on my porch the rest of my life. The money, no money, doesn't matter. Like I got something done, man. I helped. I right. helped, and and I think that that'll give me peace of mind. I hope. I commend you and applaud you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the show is called Innovation Crush. Um, what do you see out in the world right now that you are personally crushing on? What does Jenk see and go like, oh my gosh, I wish I had done that, or I think that's amazing, or that was the best experience of my life, mm-hmm. aside from being on the show. <laughs> um, so I, I think there's so many great companies doing wonderful things that I wish we did better, right? So, uh, you know, uh, BuzzFeed is so good at making things go viral, uh, uh, sharing on Facebook. Uh, they have such a great presence. Uh, some have built up great websites like Vox has on a couple of different platforms, whether it's SB Nation or Vox. And I think they uh, really got Vox to grow so quickly itself, the box.com, right? SB Nation had already been growing. So as I see these other uh, companies, Vice does those amazing documentaries, you know, they've got great yeah. resources to be able to pull that off and bless their hearts. And I love that they do. I watch some of it and I go, that's great work. You know, I'm super happy to be in an industry where people are innovating like this. Um, and I want to get better as a company at all, at all those different levels. And then sometimes I look at companies, of course, and oftentimes in the traditional media and I go, Poor sons of bitches. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they got no chance to compete right. with us or the other guys. You know, so it's it's definitely both. 
Paula, mm. is there anything you're crushing on out there that you see like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing technology thing, food, uh, platform, haircut? Oh, food. I didn't know we were talking about <laughs> hey, food. Man, it's I, I opening the question. Okay, you know, by I, the way, I will say the best food I've ever had in my life was in Istanbul. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, You're welcome. I don't know if you prepared Yeah, it, I know. But, yeah. I take responsibility. <laughs> I take responsibility for all the good things Turkish people have done and none of the bad things they've done because that would be a lot of responsibility. Uh, no, uh, truffle oil is everywhere. Have we noticed that? Everywhere. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I kind of like it. I, it, it's, it, makes, it plays games with your breath later. Let's just be honest about that. It plays definitely kind of a step up. It's upgrading from garlic, for yeah, sure. Yeah. But I feel like... I, I have to sometimes like really look at it and kind of side eye like, is this real truffle oil or? Is of course this not. No, this I never all, thought that for a second. Ten dollars <laughs> truffle. Tru- I've seen truffle a truffle oil. It's like there's an e. Truffle. Truffle. Does anybody <laughs> think? Does anybody think that the butter in the movie theater is actual butter? <laughs> no, but it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, it is, especially microwave popcorn butter. That's yeah. the that's yeah, the butter. I, I'm the one percent that's trying to decipher exactly what is. This though, I need to find out <laughs> what this. You got a lab, and you, you don't want to know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, last but not least, uh, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is. You know, I, I, I'll tell you what sprang to my mind immediately. I don't quite. I haven't had a chance to think it through, but what sprang to mind was trying harder. Um, and so I think that that's where we get our innovation, that it's not a moment of an epiphany, although I love to have epiphanies, but, but that's not really it. It's saying, okay, all right, let's try this. Okay, that didn't work. Let's try that. That didn't work. Let's try this. Oh, hey, look at this. Look at what we just innovated. Right. <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, they now call it A-B testing. Right. Uh, we used to call it trial and error. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's what we built the company on. And in order to do that, though, you got to put aside your ego and not be afraid to fail. I think that's the number one problem that a lot of people have, which is they're afraid, oh, my God, what will people think of me if this doesn't work? Whereas we don't care about that at all. What they'll think of me is the next thing I'm doing because I'm already past that. I'm way past the thing that didn't work. And I had to try all that to get to the innovation that did work. Yeah. And you have to build an ecosystem for that, right? You have to build that at least from a company standpoint into the culture of what you're doing. And uh, great job. Absolutely. Yep. And I tell everybody at the company – uh, don't be afraid of making mistakes. Don't be afraid of failing. We're never going to judge you on that. Yeah. We're going to judge you on how hard you try and how what you learn from that and how you grow from that. Now, you said, uh, I, I know I said that was last but not least again, <laughs> but last but not least. Now, you mentioned earlier you were going, to, you were at a panel, right? And I'm always mm-hmm. curious when I see somebody sort of at the apex of what they do, right? Mm-hmm. And like if you're at the, if you're the, the go-to guy for news and millennials and, you know, this generation, what do you go and sit in the panel to learn about? That's a great question. The reason I went to uh, NatB uh, is that's a television production uh, conference convention, sure. right? And so when I go to digital panels, you're right. I'm, I think like, yeah, I know better than these guys. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, I'm supposed to be more humble than that, but I honestly – no, I'm like I. I don't learn that much. You gotta own it. I tell people to Kanye it all the time. Like, if, you, if, you're, if you're the greatest, just own it. Yeah, I, I should. I should have done. I should do that at the panels. I'm gonna let you finish in a minute, dog. But, okay, but I got this on lockdown. So let me tell you all about it. No, but I, I went. I went to the panels on television industry, and there I, I got a lot to learn. Yeah, I worked in television a decent amount of time. And stuff, but you gotta. If we're gonna go into syndication, we're gonna go into cable. We're gonna go and do all these new projects. I gotta know what the state of cable is. I gotta know what people that are in syndication are looking for. That's why I went down there to learn. Got it. All right, Paula. Can I ask one question? Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. So, Last but not least. what is what is what are you working on? Like, let's say in the next year, what are some things that we can look out for that are going to be exciting? Right. So we're always firing 100 miles an hour. So we recently did a Facebook show called um, Final Judgment. It's one of like the first three or four that they launched, NFL, ABC News, and us. Um, and uh, the movie just came out, Mad as Hell. The website for that is madashellfilm.com. 